0: Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing
1: Podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing,
0: interview experts,
1: and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer.
0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode two of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. My name is Gianna Whitfer. I'm one of the hosts of the show, along with Maria Velasquez.
1: Hi everyone, happy new year.
0: And we are so excited today to have an amazing guest, Joanna Jones, CEO and founder of InnerQ Research, a San Francisco based market research firm that specializes in qualitative and quantitative market research. Here to tell us cybersecurity marketers about what we need to know about qualitative research, how to go about doing it, what's the best approach, what are some no-no's, some mistakes that people often make, So, Joanna, you want to start off? Tell us about yourself. How did you even get into this field?
2: Sure. Well, first off, thanks so much for having me on the the program. Cyber is my favorite type of market research, so it's really Mm -hmm. fun to be able to talk to you. (laughs) So, Key Research, I founded the company almost seven years ago, and I came out of ad agencies prior to that, so I was trained in doing strategy and research with big ad agencies. But prior to that, my training was in psychology. That was my degree. And I just always loved qualitative research. So I studied psychology in undergraduate. I did my thesis using qualitative research. So just to define qualitative research, so everybody is on the same page. Qualitative research is typically in person, but you're interviewing people. So you're gathering themes and understanding how people tick, essentially. You know, uh, it's focus groups, ethnographic research, one-on-one interviews, that type of thing. So um, it's meant to inform insights and strategy. Anyhow, so I was in the marketing world for a long time at ad agencies, and I always felt that the research part, the strategy, was the most effective thing that ad agencies did. You know, I wanted to have my own firm and so I decided to specialize in research and I found an inner queue. I had no idea it would take off the way it did. So I'm really excited about still being here seven years later and some of the firms that we've been able to work with. Being based in San Francisco Bay Area, we work with a lot of tech firms, I'd say about 75% of our clients are in the tech space. And I've started developing this niche in cyber. We had our first cyber project about five years ago. And after that, we got quite a few more. So I've learned a lot about the industry by interviewing, you know, CISOs, security analysts, doing focus groups with them around the country. And it's just, it's a fascinating field to me. So it's it's something I'm really passionate about. And that's why I'm excited to be on your show.
1: That's awesome, and yay for women-owned business. Yay, you (laughs) for being in the cybersecurity world. That's awesome. Sounds like an amazing job.
2: Yeah, it's been
1: really fun.
0: So you've gotten this entrenched experience now working with multiple cybersecurity companies. Can you talk about some of the types of projects you work on for cybersecurity companies? Like maybe get a little more into detail.
2: Sure, absolutely. So. In almost all the projects that we've worked on, it's been the marketers that have contacted us. They've reached out knowing that they need some sort of guidance on how they are positioning their products and services and how they talk about them. So they reach out to us. They find us through an online search typically. And they're like, okay, we have this new product coming out or, you know, the product team is trying to understand how to position this. So we need to talk to CISOs and security analysts and figure out what's going on in the socks and how we can describe it and how we can talk about it. We need to test our messaging. Um, so that's how most of the engagements have started. And then we work with them really closely to... Figure out, you know, the parameters of who we're going to be interviewing in the focus groups, uh, what the questions are, what the messages we're going to be testing. Mm-hmm. So those are, have been the bulk of the engagements, and it's everything from you know understanding how to best market to these people based on the big barriers and opportunities that they're facing. Um, as you all know, I'm sure the. The socks are very complex places, and the people who work in them are pretty overwhelmed so mm-hmm. just understanding the right tech stacks to have and understanding how to best break through all the clutter and and give people what's really going to help them do their jobs better is is really vital for companies that are in that software hardware space developing uh, cyber products so you know being able to have conversations with them is extremely valuable because the people that we interview, they really want help too. Like they want better products out there because they need more efficiencies. They need to be able to, you know, get out all those false positives. So if they can help companies improve their products and take part in that research, then that helps everybody.
0: Definitely. marit Maria, like that really aligns with, I think what we saw in our
1: survey. Absolutely. I actually I want to go rogue for just a quick second on what you mentioned and, um, I'm always just so intrigued about how willing some of these people are to talk to you and answer honestly. What are you seeing, like from a security professional's perspective, the CISOs and, and everybody within the CISOs team? Uh, who is most likely to talk to you and actually do a survey, whether it's qualitative or quantitative? Uh, and who do you think actually answers the most honestly? once we, the hardest part is just recruiting
2: them, finding people and, and we pay them pretty well. So for like a two hour focus group, I think CISOs make, you know, around $400 to come in and talk for a few hours. So it's definitely worth their time. We try to make that worth their time and then positioning it to them is like, you know, Hey, we're trying to you know understand how to position and improve these products that you use every day. Can you come and give us feedback? So there's actually a lot of willingness within the industry to engage in that process people are very honest in terms of you know hey this is this is really a big struggle for our teams and you know this is the current tech stack we have you know we have issues maybe with interoperability or you know things not working together in the sim, and so this is driving everybody crazy. And we really need help with it. We need a product that can streamline it. So, a lot of times, because there's so many frustrations, and it is such a challenging industry, and there's so much pressure, especially on the CSOs, um, to not have a breach, right? They're going to do everything they can to make sure that the, the software and hardware industry around them is developing the best products possible. Um, so I I found that that's why I love cyber so much, the research because I found that there's some of the most honest, fascinating conversations I've ever had in terms of you know what their biggest security threats are, what kind of breaches they're facing, you know how they're trying to staff their organizations, how they're trying to develop uh, their technology to to address some of those needs. Um, you know we I create a very safe space, so typically a focus group has. Six to seven people per uh, per segment, and you know it's all confidential. We're talking about what's going on in their industry and, and what's going on within their specific security operation centers, and how are they addressing those needs? And so, once people kind of start opening up, then everybody else opens up, and uh, you know, able to facilitate a really good conversation that way. So, it's fascinating. I mean, it was like I mentioned, I became exposed to this whole other world. I had no idea. Uh, how it all works, yeah. and, and how the internet is uh, so not just the internet, but people's systems are so vulnerable, and the immense amount of work that has to go into that to keep
1: to keep data safe. So absolutely, it's really interesting. Absolutely makes sense. So giving feedback for the greater good. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, I was going to ask the dumbest question that will be asked on this podcast, <laughs> which maybe I'll top on a later podcast. But do you feed them? Do you feed them? What do you feed them? <laughs>
2: yeah, sure, sure. Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, yes, I do. I very I make sure that my participants are well fed. So typically groups are in the evening because the people come after work. And this was, you know, obviously back when we could do a lot of in-person research. So a six to eight PM type time slot or sometimes even a, a noon to two time slot. So I always made sure that there's either pizza or sandwiches, some sort of food there, drinks, so that people can not have blood sugar crashes and be comfortable
1: while they're while they're participating. Yeah, because I bet the quality of answers is, is probably different from when you have an angry yeah. cell versus a exactly prophet.
2: exactly. Yeah, you got to take care of them for sure. So i always make sure there's lots of food and snacks. How
0: are you adapting? <laughs> like, and I'm going rogue too. But how are you adapting now that a lot of things are virtual? Mm. How do you feel this has like yeah. has has transitioned to virtual? How has it been for you guys? Like. Running these yeah. Groups.
2: We've had to transition everything to online. So you can do online focus groups still. It's actually more effective to do one-on-one interviews versus oh, have yeah. a full group together online. It's not ideal, honestly, Like especially when you're talking about really complex subjects and products and you want to have that group brainstorming. You want to understand people's perspectives. You want to see that interplay of how they talk to each other. You just don't get that online and an online focus group. So you know, we can still do the research. We we're doing research for a lot of companies outside of cyber at the moment, but there is definitely something lost not having that in-person feedback. And like you mentioned earlier, just that trust is much better when you're in person and kind of in that safe space and spontaneous conversations and topics come up that you just don't get online. It's
0: it's, it's mm-hmm. reflected in everything we do, right? Yeah, we're doing on right. the marketing side of the house too. It's you know. Being in person is better. Being online has been harder to work, but you make mm-hmm. it work.
2: Yeah, you make it work. You still, you know, we still get the insights. We still get the data we need. It's just not, in my opinion, it's not as good as it it is when you're when you're in person. So,
1: for those of us that might not have time, capacity, or budget to hire a research firm, school us. What's the difference between qualitative and quantitative? Mm-hmm. And where would you even start a research mm-hmm. project? Let's say you're a startup. 10, 15 people, but you Mm -hmm. really want to get some research done and create some sort of piece of content uh, that you want to put out there. Where do we start?
2: So there's a lot of, as you know, cyber industry thought leaders and publications that put information out there. Like one that I'm familiar with is the Ponymon Report. One of the projects that we did actually was a launching pad off of that. So it was around automation in in socks and and, um, in cyber. So they were trying to understand like, okay, so this is what the Ponymon Report published, but we really need to know for our customers specifically or for people who our product is aimed at you know, does this hold? Is this true? Um, and then how can we improve on it? So I would say start with looking at what the industry is saying, whether those are, you know, specialized reports that you can, you know, subscribe to, purchase, get access to like Ponymon or even the, some of the conferences, you know, there's great information that's at the conferences too. Aside from that, just talking and being really close with your sales team. Um, I know that, the marketers that i've talked to who have really good relationships with their sales team are able to get that feedback you know like what are you hearing in the field what are your customers saying how are they reacting to this so that's another good way is to you know work closely with your sales team and then just rely on the the larger industry uh, reports and research that's put out there and again it's not going to be as customized or tailored to what you may be trying to do but at least it gives you a start and a launch pad to to work off of
0: so say you know say i'm at a company and we're launching a product and mm-hmm. we're saying, okay, like we want to do some user research around this first on positioning and messaging. We want to see, you know, put our message in front of people in front of CISOs or SOC analysts or security engineers or whoever our target is and see what they say back and working at, you know, small, big companies, whatever size, a lot of this is not just owned by marketing, you know, research and understanding what customers are saying. Or how have you successfully seen companies get the rest of the team involved, say, like product, et cetera? Mm -hmm.
2: Sure. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Typically, it's the marketing teams that approach us first because they're like, hey, we have a problem. And marketers just tend to be more familiar with qualitative research and strategy to begin with. So they're typically the ones who reach out through the discussions, the initial kickoff discussions that I have with them. And we always like workshop it out. Like, okay, what are the key? Like, what's the essential question? What's the hypothesis you're trying to, to test? Like all of that there's always something to do with product that's in there too. Like, oh, the product team needs to understand the roadmap or, you know, the product team's also trying to develop this. So then the marketing team will go to the product team and be like, hey, we're doing research, we're doing focus groups, do you guys want to be involved? And then there's a lot of enthusiasm from the product team because they realize they can start to test some of what they're working on as well. That's also a great way if you're a marketer to get some extra budget. Um, if you can get buy-in from the product team, oftentimes the budget opens up a little bit more when the company realizes that you know this is going to be not just for the marketing team, but this can actually go across the whole organization, both sales, product, and marketing okay. to help just the team have better understanding and insights of, of what's going on out there and how people are responding to not only the, the messages that they're trying to test, but You know what are the core needs and how can the product team develop around that so i would say advice get the product team involved if you're going to do research because we've seen a lot of enthusiasm when when the product team starts to get involved
0: i take it back i said i'm gonna have the stupidest question on this podcast <laughs> earlier, I'm going to make a another stupid question for you, Joanna. Okay, you on this any
2: questions? A good question. <laughs> what
0: if there's a bad relationship? Okay, and I'm not making this therapy call, right? What? If, mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about any company in particular, okay? But what if the product <laughs> team and the marketing team, for some reason, are at at, at odds? Have you ever seen? Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen in your experience, like a, like a place where marketers want to do this project, really have to fight to get it done? Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. um, I'm trying to, you know, honestly, I'm not, they kind of shield that from me. Like sometimes you kind of pick up on some of the dynamics that are going on within the company. And sometimes whether it's a marketing team or another team will want to do research to make a political point about something within a company. So We're kind of shielded from that, but I definitely have picked up on some tension before within companies, whether it's like the product and sales team aren't getting along or the product and marketing team aren't getting along. I don't know enough about you know, internal politics on how to sell it in other than that it really can benefit everybody. And we've seen a lot of success if there is some way that they can work together to get that done. But if the product team isn't going to work with you, I mean, still try to fight for it and do it because it does give great insights for marketing.
1: Joanna, that sounds like an idea for a great piece of content for you. Here's how to convince <laughs> your product and sales team that you need this research product <laughs>
2: Yeah, exactly. Here's why research is so important for product teams. Exactly.
0: <laughs> Thank you for humoring that.
2: Sure, sure. No, that's a great question. And I mean, there is, it is it is fascinating sometimes, like when we used to do in-person meetings and you'd be around the table with various representatives from different teams and you kind of pick up on some of that tension. So, you know, I know it exists, but being an outside consultant, we don't have to wade into that too much. So,
1: Having done a few projects with a few cybersecurity companies, when is the best time of the year to even consider a research project what and considering also like the audience right and who we want to get information from um i know that it's a it's it's an all year round right busy kind of time for security professionals because Obviously, threats don't take vacation, but what would be like a good time to not only from like internally to kick things off, but also from an audience perspective and getting good data back?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, It's interesting because some of the research that we've done when I'm talking to, especially the CISOs who are more the decision makers and hold the budget, they're very concerned about when renewals are coming up. So if they're going to switch any of their uh, software or hardware you know, they have a pretty firm date in mind when they need to start researching who else they're going to get an RFP from and what other technology they're going to start exploring. And those renewal cycles are different, like are always different. It depends when you started the contract typically, right? So it's hard to base research around renewal cycles, but it's really important to know how long they are and and when they're coming up for renewal. And that's always a question we ask because that's going to obviously help the marketing and sales team figure out when they need to start putting their messages out and positioning Ah. it. Um, Yeah. But in terms of when it's the best time to do research, it kind of depends on a company's budget. So for us, it doesn't really matter so much, but companies tend to have whatever their fiscal year is, they typically will have some sort of budget set aside for whether it falls under R&D or just the marketing budget itself, or sometimes if they can pull in a product if they get along and they can get some budget buy-in from them. Um, it, kind of depends on the fiscal year. Like we get a lot of projects in Q3, Q4, when they realize they have some money left and they need to spend it. Um, but then other times it's at the very beginning of the year, like Q1 right now, we're like, Hey, it's a fresh year. Let's kick off. Let's figure out, you know, what we're doing and they want to go in there. Um, other times if it's, if it's very much product driven and they're trying to understand how to position it. And how to really even roadmap it out and develop it and what the market fit is, that's going to depend on just the development schedule when they come out. So long answer to your question, it depends. And there's um, there's no real formula for it because it tends to be so company specific on whoever's uh, hiring us to do the the research.
0: What are some reasons that a project is going to fail? You know, what's something that either gets overlooked in the process that's important or is mm-hmm. there sig- signs and signals that, hey, this isn't going to work out? Like, what are some things that you've seen where it doesn't end up resulting in what people expected?
2: I would say the trickiest part is if companies are trying to do too much with the research. So they they want to throw like everything in the kitchen sink at it, right? It's like they want to know all these different marketing Questions that they have, like strategy positioning for like five different products. And then the product team comes in and they want to like test three different products out. And the sales team comes in, it's like, whoa, 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 we can't. Like in a two hour focus group, I can focus on three or four key themes. That's it. So a lot of it for me is like people will suddenly get it's interesting, like research kind of starts, marketing will initiate the process and then get buy in from other teams. And then all of a sudden, like everybody's at the table and everybody wants to participate and everybody wants all their questions included. So Our job as uh, consultants is to really kind of rein in on like, okay, what do you guys really need to focus on? Because we can't answer all of your questions. And maybe we have to divide the research up into multiple stages, which sometimes happens. But it's really trying to narrow down on, you know, three or four key things that we can tackle in, you know, if we're doing focus groups or one-on-one interviews. Otherwise, it just gets diluted and you're trying to ask too much and you don't have time to really probe in and, and and go on specific topics deeply. It just gets kind of watered down. So that's one of our biggest challenges. If if companies don't really, they just want to know a lot, but they don't really know specifically yet what they're trying to answer, that can kind of set a project up for a challenging start. So, you know, our job then is to, to, to really try to kind of... Um, make sure that they're a little more specific about what their needs are and what their goals are and making sure that everybody's on the same page with that.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, I don't know. Can we curse on this podcast, Maria? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. You know, never half-ass anything, always full-ass everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. Now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors and producers, Your Valley Media. Chris Cochran and Ron Eddings run an amazing studio here, which produces not only the Breaking Through and Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, but a bunch of other shows that you're going to want to listen to as well. So all these shows plus more, and then on top of that, probably even more coming soon, are available to look at, listen to and sponsor at HackerValley.com. Make sure you go over there and say, hey, Gianna and Maria said I should come check out your website, listen to your shows and uh, sponsor a podcast or two. Thanks. So, on that topic of focus groups, though, so say someone wants to homegrown make a focus group. What's your recipe for a good focus group structure? Like, what what do you like? You just said something that I didn't think of, which was, oh, we only focus in a focus group on like three or four things, and that's it, because Mm -hmm. in two hours you don't have enough time. Like, what other tidbits, tricks, or things should we know if we want to run our own focus group?
2: Mm -hmm. Participant size is a really big deal, so. I've had companies approach me and they're like, hey, we want to have a focus group to 10 to 12 people. I'm like, not going to happen. Six to seven party. Exactly. (laughs) That's not a focus group. Like, you're going to get like two sentences from each person in the focus group of that size. Like, it just, it's not enough. You can't, you just can't talk enough to each person and get enough feedback. So, I like to have smaller groups, six to seven people, sometimes even only five people, especially if it's a really technical, highly specialized topic like cyber is, because that way you can go really in depth with each participant. And then you can also facilitate conversations amongst the participants too. So smaller groups are better. The more technical the content, the smaller the groups. Another big tidbit is one thing that we're always trying to to guard against in focus groups is group bias, right? So sometimes people just want to make sure that they say something that and then everybody agrees with them or they don't want to be like the odd man out who has a different opinion or odd woman out. So a technique that I always do in my focus groups is especially when we're brainstorming or I'm getting feedback on like marketing copy, you write it down first. So everybody has their own little worksheet and they mark it up and write it down. And then I'll ask them individually what they put down and then we can have a group discussion about it. But that really prevents that group bias effect is making sure that people first put their opinions down. And I always collect the papers afterwards. So I do a mix of a lot of like worksheet and individual work, as well as facilitating a group discussion to really try to guard against that, that group bias that happens. So group size, group bias is a big thing. Getting the right participants is one of the hardest things, especially for cyber. And that's where hiring an outside firm is so important because having really specialized recruiters who can do that is key. It's very time consuming and expensive to get, as you can imagine, a CISO from a, you know, like a Fortune 100 company or something. So making sure that we can get actually the right people to the table is huge. And and having specialized recruiting is, is, is a big part of that. If you're talking to your own customers, obviously that's different. You know, if you're doing it internally and you're talking to your own customers, um, but just a key thing to keep in mind if you're doing it internally is there's still a lot of, I call it corporate myopia within companies. You know, you're so immersed in your own product and your own way of thinking that it's hard to ask objective questions to people when you kind of are swimming in your own <laughs> pool every day, right?
1: Drinking your own Kool-Aid. This is <laughs> exactly. Drinking your own Kool-Aid. That's a much better way to
2: say it. Thank you. So, um, you know, but as an outsider, I can come in. I'm obviously not a cyber person myself. I've just done a lot of research, so I know enough to ask the right questions. Um, But I can often get different insights than somebody internally may because I'm looking at it from a very different perspective Um, and from just like a sense of like curiosity. Like, I don't know all the terms. I don't know all the things that happen in a sock, So it's kind of a learning process, but then that often unearths new insights that, you know, maybe somebody who's so immersed in it might not think to ask. So having that objectivity is also really important.
1: I feel like I want to package up those tips and tricks that you just mentioned right now into some sort of marketing tool or marketing <laughs> content for our members, or at least a message. I think we're going to, Gianna, we'll have to go back and and um, write all of these down. Yeah. That'd be a great blog post or something. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You wouldn't think to like have them write down their answer before they actually verbalize it. That is just brilliant. Mm. And it's so, it's, it's simple. It makes sense, but Not Mm -hmm. everybody thinks of that, right? Right. Unless obviously you are, uh, you know, an expert and have the right kind of experience.
0: Well, thank you, Joanna, for being on our podcast. This has been really fun. Where can people find you?
2: Yeah. So our company website is interqresearch.com. It's www.interq-research.com. If you just type an queue into a browser, you'll probably find us too. We have pretty good SEO, so it's easy to find us. And we also have a lot of blogs and content on our website too, for those who are interested in kind of like what I've been talking about, some of the tips and tricks of the field. So, um, you're welcome to check out our blog as well.
0: Awesome. Thank you. So we'll link to that in the show notes. How cool. I get to say that link in the show notes (laughs) 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 episode two. Yeah. All right. So, so thanks for joining us and. uh, We'll be probably be posting a blog for our readers to to our listeners to be able to read and have a good rest of your week.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much, Joanna. Thank you. This was this was really really good. Great. Well, it's been really fun getting to talk to you. And good luck with your podcast. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thanks.
0: Bye. Bye.